Welcome back to another episode of Beaten Not Broken. I'm your host, Leanne, and today we have a very special guest. She's not just a survivor, but a fighter, so help me give a warm welcome to today's special guest, Heather. Hi! I would like to give a special thanks to Heather for first reaching out to me, but also for taking the time out of your busy life to speak with me today. If you could just give the audience a quick introduction, including your name and how many years you are in a domestic violence relationship. So my name is Heather. I am now 32 years old. I was actually in three different domestic violences. The first one lasted about a year. Luckily, the first time he hit me, I got out. So that's probably about the smartest one I did. The second one lasted about four years, up until the point that I didn't feel like I was going to make it out alive. And the third one was just under a year and that one it got to the point he threatened to kill me and I knew he had a loaded gun so I definitely had to finally end that one pretty quick. Thank you for sharing that with us. I am very interested in hearing your story Heather. Could you please tell us your domestic violence story from the beginning to the end and as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable sharing? As you mentioned earlier you have three separate different domestic violence relationships So feel free to talk about whichever one of the three you like. The second one had the most meat to it. I'll never forget the first time that he put his hands on me. We began arguing and he had been drinking. And so I decided I was going to get in my car and I was going to leave our house to give him time to sober up and both of us time to let our temper school off. I got to my car and he had ran up behind me. He took my keys and he threw them across the yard. He put his hands around my neck, slammed me in my car, and then he shoved me down to the ground. And I still remember our neighbor walked over and the neighbor had a cordless phone in his hand. I was sitting on the ground crying and I was just begging him, please help me. Call the police. I'm begging you, help me. The man looked at me. He said, well, you've got a cell phone. It's not working. Please help me. And he looked at the guy that I was dating at the time and asked him, is everything all right? Shook his hand and walked away. Now, logically, I know that I could have called my family and there was a way out. But when you're in those situations, logic has nothing at all to do with it. And having somebody look at me, knowing what had happened, and walk away when I begged for help. I felt like there was absolutely no way out. And I stayed, things would be all right for a few days or occasionally a couple weeks. Then he would have, it'd be another time when he'd get too drunk and it would go from a yelling match to physical. I can remember him putting his forearm against my throat and slamming me into the wall. And I kept trying to put my chin down so that I could try not to lose consciousness. And I went to work with both sides of my jaw purple, black and blue. And then another time we'd gotten into an argument, there was, and I still don't remember how I ended up on the floor. But my cousin had moved into the apartment below us, and so I started trying to scream, mm-hmm. hoping that she would hear me. And he grabbed me by my jaw 
and slammed my head into the floor so hard that the next morning I had fingerprints going across my chin when I went to work. And when you go to work and you're in front of people, you can explain, you can make up a story. I slipped and hit my hand or my arm on this. And you make up those stories because you're so embarrassed and you're so ashamed of what you're going through and what you feel like you're allowing yourself to go through. When you're in the situation, you don't understand, just like an outsider doesn't understand, just how it is mentally. Mm-hmm. And But you can never explain fingerprints. It doesn't matter what story you try to come up with. You can't explain fingerprints across your arms and face. And when I got home that day, he looked at me and he said, he looked at me and asked me, he said, what happened? All I could do was look at him and tell him it was you. He had been so drunk the night before that he did not remember doing it. He didn't remember us arguing. And that's when I told him I was done. I said, if they sober, you can stay here for a week. If you can't stay sober, I'm going to take you to the homeless shelter. And we went for a walk about a week later and he started crying. He apologized. He said, what can I do to fix it? He said, I can't take it back. I can never take back what I did. I know that. But what can I do to fix it? And I made a deal with him. I told him, I said, you have to commit to rehab. You have to go to inpatient rehab. He agreed to it. And then we were waiting for my next paycheck to be able to have the gas money because we found one that was inpatient and income-based. And about two days before I got my paycheck, he went downstairs with the new neighbor who was, come on, man, don't be a punk. Don't let your girl rule your life. Have a shot, have a shot, have a shot. Kept encouraging him to drink and encouraging him, you know, not to let me say so that I was controlling his life. And I was trying to whip him for lack of better terminology. I had to be to work at 6 a.m. the next day. And he come in at 4 a.m. screaming, drunk. That last morning, it took me over two hours just to get dressed. Our apartment was on the second floor, and the stairs were outside. I'd go get ready to try to go to work. I'd get about down about three steps, and he'd come after me. And there was just something about his entire body language, the way he was coming, the way he was, the look on his face. It scared me. Mm-hmm. To the point that I I was afraid he was going to shove me down those stairs if I didn't stop and come back and talk to him the way he wanted me to. I finally get out the door, finally got down the steps. I got to the bottom of the stairs, and then he starts screaming at me, get back in here. Get back in here. I'm not done talking to you. And I ran. And I got in my car, and I, I'm getting ready to take the turn to head, start heading towards work. Something hit my back window. There were rocks or something. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was bawling, ugly crying everywhere. I was trembling. And I stopped at the gas station to try to put a couple of dollars in the gas tank. And he was calling my cell phone back to back. It stopped ringing and started again. And I walk into the gas station. The woman was behind the counter. She was looking at me. She's like, are you all right? I'm like, call the cops. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to do. Call the police. And the police showed up, and I actually had to take them back to my apartment and go let them in. By the time they got back to the apartment, he was already passed out from being drunk. And I had to sit there and wait for them to arrest him 
when I went to work that morning, I actually got in trouble because I didn't call in. I just looked at him. I had calling in to work is the last thing on my mind. I was praying I didn't lose my job. Yeah. When you've got somebody screaming in your face and you don't know if you're getting out with your life or not, making a phone call is impossible. And it went to court. He ended up doing, while we were in court, is when I found out he had actually had about six priors mm. with his ex. He told me he had had one where they got into an argument and she split his lip. Mm-hmm. And he hit her back and he's the one who went to jail. And he had, they rattled off the cases with that many priors. The, the prosecutor wanted to try to get him with three years. Yeah. And he told the he told the prosecutor, if you give me anything more than eighteen months, I'm taking it to trial. So they let him have eighteen months. No probation, no nothing after. It was really hard because we were friends for about six years before we ever tried a relationship. Mm-hmm. And when we when we first met, he wouldn't touch alcohol. Yeah. His, grand, his grandmother and his mother were both alcoholics, and he didn't want to follow in those footsteps. He would not, he wouldn't have a drink to save his life. And he just, he met the wrong people. He met friends and friends who liked to drink, so he started drinking. Mm-hmm. And I had no clue before then that he would turn into that kind of person when he drank. Because when he was sober, he was hundred percent different when he was sober he was the kind of guy that would make every girl it make your heart melt mm-hmm. he'll open the doors he would he treated me great but when he'd start drinking that's when everything was the opposite so during his 18 months sentence was that when you were able to move on and let go of the relationship I was. I wrote him a couple of letters, mm-hmm. more or less telling him, you know, I'm not angry at you. I don't hate you. I hated the person you were when you drank, but I don't hate you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not angry at you. I cannot afford to hold on to that grudge because if I held on to that anger and that resentment towards him, it would eat me alive. Yeah. He does not deserve to have that much control over the rest of my life. I actually didn't even get rid of his stuff while he was in jail. When he got out of jail, I gave all, I had all of his stuff in a box and gave it back to him. His family photos, his clothes, everything. So he didn't have to start out getting out of jail with nothing. Mm-hmm. He's, I didn't give him any money. Yeah. But I made sure, you know, I didn't destroy his stuff. I didn't throw it out. I gave it back to him. Thank you so much for sharing that. You were very kind in a situation where you didn't have to be. And I think kindness and forgiveness show just how strong you are. Is there anything else you would like to add? Not with that one. I mean, I know each situation is definitely different. Yeah. Third one I was in, he was a volunteer firefighter. He was friends with all the local police. I tried going the right route. I got a protective order. He actually took me to court and appealed the protective order. And tried to get it dropped, saying I had no right to it. 
But I mean, every situation is different. And you just got to decide when you've had enough and pray it's before it's too late. Well, thank you for sharing that with us today. Um, from your story, you are incredibly strong person and not only strong but you are very kind kind-hearted and I just have one more question for you okay and that's what are your next steps in the future right now I work full-time I'm going to school full-time I uh, had a little girl about a year and a half ago so I'm going to school full-time so that I can make sure I'm able to have a more solid career to take care of her and help her a good strong future. I've met a guy since then who is amazing. He loves my daughter as if she were his own. And he wouldn't dream of putting his hands on me. So, I mean, there's always that. And he definitely supports me with work and school and parenting and all those fun things. I'm hoping to be able to, when she gets a little bit older, start trying to get her into self-defense mm-hmm. because I want her to be able to, I want her to be able to take care of herself. I want to be able to show her what a healthy relationship is. I want, And we're, we make sure we teach his two boys the same thing. You never put your hands on a female or anybody. Cause I know that there are plenty of guys who go through it as well. You don't put your hands on each other. If it comes to that point, if you you need to walk away and leave the relationship. And I think you bring up a really great point. That it's not only about teaching our young men not to hit women, but also teaching women not to hit men. I think there's a lot of improvement that we can make in educating our youth what love looks like and how to have a healthy relationship. You know, and being a strong woman or a strong man does not mean that you need to break down the other. Yeah. You know, being a strong woman does not mean that you have to tear men down. Being a strong man does not mean you have to tear women down. And I think we just need to teach everybody that. I want to instill those types of values in our children. But in this day and age, like there's stories every day of somebody who's lost their life from domestic violence, whether they've stayed or whether they've tried to leave and do everything the way they, the law says you should, you know, and I understand, you know, at the end of the day, a restraining order is just a piece of paper. So I, I am, I do want my daughter to understand self-defense and know how to look out for herself. Once again, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and sharing your story with me. Also, I just want to wish you luck on your schooling and in your new relationship. And that concludes today's episode of Beaten, Not Broken. Tune in next time.